Well, I want to show you the greatest moment of panic in my life. That's it. Woo! Fresh out of the oven. That's my still. That's my son Nathan. I remember I was working at a butcher shop in Texas, going to Bible college. Drove to the place where they do the ultrasound. The guy says, do you want to know if it's a boy or a girl? I was like, hit me. He's like, you're having a son. And I remember just thinking, oh, crap. I just, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I don't know how to do this. My father was a good man, but my father was a passive man. And he just didn't, didn't know what to do. And I was just like, I just do not have what it takes. I wasn't excited I was terrified. I wasn't thinking about throwing the ball and teaching him to drive. I was thinking, I do not have what it takes to help this kid become a godly adult and get through life. There's a story Bruce Springsteen tells in his biography, Born to Run. Any of you read that? Nobody read that? The boss? Is this America? Born in the USA and all that? We got work to do as a generation as California. This story happened in California. (laughs) Springsteen's got a dad who worked in a factory, making coffee, doing whatever. And Springsteen had a very strained relationship. Comes out in his music. He was was one of those uh, kids who grew up in a time where they're just rebelling against whatever went before them, but with extra energy. And... Out of the blue, his dad says, hey, I need to come see you. He's about, Bruce is about to have his first son. His dad drives 500 miles. And uh, so they're having this really awkward breakfast. And his dad says to him, you've been really good to us, Bruce. And we haven't been, I haven't been that good to you. And he's trying to figure out, like, what's my dad doing? And then he has this revelation Oh, my dad realizes that I'm about to be a father and that he's about to be a grandfather and the story about him is going to be told to my son and he's asking for forgiveness. And Bruce said, that was all I needed. I didn't need some big apology. I didn't need, I didn't need a ceremony. This is my father trying to make it right. And he said he had this revelation that all of the people who go before us are either ghosts or ancestors. They either haunt us with brokenness or they help us with legacy he said here was his dad saying let me be an ancestor not a ghost I want to help you I don't want to haunt you and when I thought about that I think in some sense that's what I felt I don't want to haunt my son with my brokenness with my dad's brokenness I want to help him I want to help him become the kind of man that God has called him to be And so this set me on a path to try and figure out fatherhood. Now, I want to tell you, I wrote a book called The Intentional Father. Okay, It's not called The Perfect Father. There's only one perfect father, your father in heaven. I'm not a perfect father. My kids will tell you, dad gets cranky. My kids will tell you, I've had to repent in front of them, ask for their forgiveness. But I did resolve in my heart to break generational cycles and to be intentional. And in my research, I realized that there's five kinds of fathers, and you will be one of the five fathers that I describe in this room. The first kind of father is the irresponsible father. 
This father is basically a sperm donor. Gets a woman pregnant, bails. Does not realize that they've created life and are shaping the story that goes before them. I don't know if you've read Frederick Beekner. Anyone read any Beekner? He's one of the wrote a book called Telling Secrets. Let me tell you. Read Telling Secrets. It's about a hundred pages. I'm not a reader. Just read. Telling Secrets by Beekner. Beekner. Beekner's whole life was marked by the fact that his dad, during the Great Depression, killed himself. His whole life is one traumatic, traumatic wrestling with the fact of a dad who could not hang around to raise him. And it makes him ask the question, is it me? Was it me, dad? Was I not worth it? Was I not worth hanging around for? Didn't you see any possibility in me? Irresponsible fathers. Then you have ignorant fathers. And these are the kinds of dads who don't know what they're doing. And so they can do a lot of damage because they, they don't understand the psychology of male formation. I don't remember what it was like to be young. They just prescribe and they just tell and they demand. They do a lot of damage. Every generation has different concerns and questions. And so that ignorance can wound in profound ways. And sometimes they don't know how to, but sometimes they don't want to. Then you get inconsistent fathers. These are dads who are in and out, often torn by personal ambition or personal brokenness. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain, who's an amazing cook, he's from New York City. Any of you aware of him? Homeboy could cook anything, anywhere. And he basically just lived this life as a cook and then wrote a book and got famous and then left his wife and then married another woman and then had his first child later in life. So he's wrestling with this tension. He's on the road with this TV show and yet he loves his little girl with all of his heart. And he just goes in and out of his daughter's life and he couldn't be consistent because he was torn with ambition. And then he felt shame and cycles of guilt because if he couldn't be the perfect dad, he couldn't be around her because even though he loved her, she, she triggered his shame and he just got more and more distant. And so it left his daughter asking the question, why can't you hang around? What else out there is better than me right here? Inconsistent dads. And then you get involved dads. And the involved dad is like... Like the, the, the typical Christian dad. And an involved dad, if you had an involved dad, you were in the total minority of people that grew up in the world. An involved dad is like, I've got to be around for my son. I've got to be around for my daughter. And they teach you, you know, how to throw the ball, how to catch the ball, how to handle discouragement, how to drive a car, how to treat a girl properly, how to do the stuff of life. My dad was an involved dad. He was involved. He was in my life. Took me to basketball games. Taught me how to drive a car. Stick shift. Teach him how to drive a stick shift. But we're going to have automatic cars. But after the automatic cars, the luxury will be men who can drive stick shifts. Taught me how to ride a motorbike. Got me in a motorbikes. Grateful for my dad. An involved dad deals with truth in general. Biblical principles. Principles of life. It's a gift to have an involved dad. But there's something better than an involved dad. And that's an intentional dad, an intentional father. I'll give you some example from my life. When I was two, I was horrifically burned. When they, they pulled me out of a, a 
pot of water. It's, I don't even know how it happened. Honestly, it's such a point of pain in my family story. My parents won't talk to me about what happened. But somehow I got in this tub of boiling water. And when they picked me out of it, they said the, the skin on my leg melted off like pizza cheese. They didn't think I would be able to work. All my early memories of my mom rubbing this like really like this paste, this burn paste on my legs. And uh, my, like, you can barely see it today, but like all the muscles on my foot were just hanging limp and a bunch of pain up in here. It's a wild story. My mom said it completely changed my personality. I went from like a hyper-confident little tyrant into this terrified, scared kid, clingy, afraid of the world. I've always been reasonably gifted in my life. So projecting confidence, witty in conversations, figuring out how to navigate social dynamics. But in my heart, it was all a coping mechanism for inward fear. So when I was a, an athlete, I'm a shell of my former self, but when I was a teenage athlete, I would win best and fairest, best player, those sorts of things. Top of my class before I dropped out of high school, long story. My dad would always say this to me, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant, man. God opposes the proud. Do not boast. Now, what? that's true. That's God's word. Life is hard enough without God against you. That's what my dad said. Yes, sir. But what my dad didn't know is that I actually didn't struggle with pride. I struggled with insecurity. I wasn't the guy that you had to take the mic from. I was the guy that you had to pull out of the crowd and hand the mic to. And if my dad understood my heart, not just biblical principles, he would have said to me, do not be afraid. He wouldn't have said, don't be prideful. He said, take heart, young man, get out there and fight for your life. I'm with you. So my dad was involved. He had biblical principles, but he didn't understand my heart. The greatest pain in my life, and I've talked to counselors and coaches about it, and the whole thing is that you got to break the do not be proud layer over your life and you just got to go out there with confidence an intentional father asked the question who is my son who is my daughter not just what does the bible say but what do they say in their heart and then how do i begin to connect on the specific details of who their heart is and i just resolved in researching this kind of fathers i want to be an intentional father i want to find out why God gave me these particular kids. I have a son named Nathan, a daughter named Haley. Why did he give me them? And what is their destiny? And how do I release them into the good works prepared for them? Not just project what I have onto them. I resolved to be an intentional father. And then I realized if I was going to be an intentional father, I had to build an intentional pathway for them to become who God called them to be. Now, we live in a society these days where there is no pathway to walk from adolescence into adulthood. There's no pathway. How do you find out about sex? Pornhub. How do you find out about anything? YouTube, people literally Googling what their fathers used to teach them. There's no pathway, there's no rites of passage. You've got some weak cultural ones like, I don't know, middle school into high school. But is that graduation ceremony where you get to wear some cool sneakers under the gown? Like, is that really doing the job? I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm saying it's not enough. And so I began to research, was there some other pathway where you could be intentional to help kids walk through the valley of the shadow of the teenage years into adulthood? 
And so I realized, researching primarily a Jungian psychologist, psychologist named James Hollis, he's behind like Richard Rohr and uh, Roll Heiser, all the midlife stuff, is this guy. Always read the footnotes of your favorite authors and see where they got it, not just how they regurgitated it. So I went deep in and he, he basically said every society in history that's existed except modern society has had a conscious six-step process of walking people from adolescence into adulthood. Let me show you that process. The first thing that happens is the removal from the environment of childhood as a young man begins to enter into adolescence. So yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. You have a society for the common good, which means there's a role that men play in society where they are respected and honored for how they use their strength for other people. So you have a society that recognizes men are a gift, not a threat. Then, let's go around this, they, they're removed from the childhood environment, which means sometimes by force, even native communities, it was like as a young man's body's beginning to change and he's entering into puberty, the men are like, let's abduct him into a pathway of adulthood. And we hear him, we say, that's so violent and traumatic. Well, look at the trauma that's happening on this generation with no rites of passage. Removal of the environment of childhood. Getting rid of their naivete. Kids live in a world of magical thinking. If I'm good, Santa will give me. I remember my dad saying, there's no Santa. Look at me, I'm Santa. I'm Santa. This is Santa right here. <laughs> Get rid of the magical thinking. That's not how life works. Sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes when they were severing childhood thinking, they would literally bury kids in a fake grave. And so just like we, you're like, oh, that's terrible. We do baptisms. We do the exact same thing in swimming pools. If you're a real sinner, they hold you under just for a second so you feel the grace of God. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. <laughs> Raised to walk in newness of life. A friend of mine who was hanging out this week, he's taken his son through this. Now he's on his second son. And he said, my first son, we gathered around him in the woods and all he had to do was shave his head. And not grow his hair. It had to grow his hair until he turned 18. He said, this time I took it to another level. I dug a grave and buried my son in the ground with his head out while a community of men stood around him. So you seriously said, showed me a photo of it. I said, what did your son say? He said, I will never forget this. I was like, that's right, he would never forget that. Severing of childhood thinking. Next, the community of men would come around them and train them and form them. And they would do this in three areas. Number one, the religion of their community. Kids needed to know who their gods were. Number two, the story of their people, how they became a community. And thirdly, the expected roles that they would play. They wanted you to know, here's the God we serve, here's the story of our people, and here's what it means to be accepted and contribute as one of us. And this training would take years. It was about character formation, it was about skill development. It was about an impartation of confidence and responsibility. And then a series of experiences that would facilitate this. Then they were sent out on what they called the ordeal. And the ordeal was asking a question. And here was the question. The young man had to ask, have I learned it? Do I have what it takes? In Australia, 
young Aboriginal men were sent out to go walkabout for up to six months. Everything in Australia that is an animal or a spider or an insect will kill you. You're in your room, you're like, oh, there's a spider. It's like, oh, if that bites you, it's totally fatal. There's no vaccine, so kill it. It's like everything. Oh, that's a snake. Oh, if you take two steps, you'll die. It's in the top 10 in the world. What about that snake? Oh, that's the top two. Everything in Australia will kill you. And so they send young men out into the desert, into the outback, six months. And what they want to know is, have you learned these things in such a way that you can hold these things on your own against the world? This is the vision quest of Native American communities in the Maasai community. This is the killing of a lion. It's like a real world thing to let you know you've got what it takes and you've learned this from the community. Then when you pass the ordeal and the test, you will be welcomed back and recognized by the community of men. You are one of us now. You are psychologically differentiated from childhood and you were initiated into the community of men. They're given a new name, artifacts, welcome and a blessing ceremony. And then they're reintegrated back into the community for the common good again, which means like you are now formed, all of your adolescent energy, your strength, your sexuality, your curiosity has been channeled in such a way that you build and do not break the world that you will lead in. Almost every society in history has had a pathway like this, except us. Except us. How many of you went through some kind of like six-step process like this with your dad? I mean, that's zero. So here's what we think happens. Next slide here. Here's kind of our thinking. Adolescence, you okay? We're going to go to manhood, and this is what it's going to be like. Next slide. It's just going to be like we're going to do a camping trip. I'm going to teach him to drive. I'm going to take him to the range. We're going to shoot a few guns or kill something. And uh, going to have a sex talk. And then I'm going to send them to college. And then they're going to follow Jesus all the days of their life with wisdom, skill, courage, confidence, and blessing. Next slide. Here's what well, this is what it actually looks like. Okay, this, this is what actually happens right here. It's just a, just a hellscape of anxiety. And like, what is even just a, it's a descent because there's no pathway. You start in adolescence. You never even get to manhood. You don't even make it. You're stuck over here in insecurity. How many of you, if you're really honest, is kind of like, that's more like my story. I never got out of that maze of adolescence. I got the body of a man, but the soul of a teenager. This, this is what happens in our world today. So this, is, this was my motivation with my son. Here's this kid pulled out of the woman that I love and laid in front of me. And the only thing I'm thinking is, I don't have what it takes. So I say, man, I'm going to build this. I'm going to recover this ancient pathway. Now, other men, other, there's other men's ministries and other books that have done this, but they weren't comprehensive enough. It's like hey, a camping trip and a few men like blessing you is not going to get you through the blizzard of modern life. Most of those books weren't written where kids had access to the entire world on their phones at night. I said, I'm going to do something a little more intense. And so my vision was to normalize a pathway of discipleship and formation from adolescence into adulthood. I wanted to normalize. I said, I want to create a system where when you ask how many of you were taken through a process like this, that 90% of the men put their hands up and say, I'm a formed man. 
We need this because we're living at a point where of complete and utter cultural failure right now. The Christian church has a failure rate of 70% or 69% with our young people. That means 7 out of 10 kids that grow up inside the church of Jesus in America will walk away from their faith their freshman year of college. How many of you want to invest in a business that has a 70% failure rate? If you were put into management or you bought that business, how many of you would say, probably going to make a few changes here? So when people say to me, this is too intense, I'm like, I'm sorry. You know what's intense? 1.2 million kids walking away from their faith every year. That's intense. You know how many dads and mums I've sat with weeping because their kids are defying God and caught up in the world? I say, I'm sorry, you're out of touch with reality. We've got a massive cultural failure. There's a Wall Street uh, Journal article, particularly with our sons, a generation of American men gave up on college. I just feel lost. They cannot get out of that maze because the path has been lost and they are just wandering for years. And here's the truth. You can win or lose the world in a single generation. You can win or lose. All it takes is 10 or 15 years and you can have a different country. Don't believe me? Hitler did it. Hitler did it in 10 years. Hitler Youth produced the Third Reich. You can do anything in a 10 or 15 year window if you resolved. And I'll tell you this, you can change your family line in 10 or 15 years. You can change, you can change the whole story of your family. And so I came up with this thing, I called it the primal path. Now some of like, that just sounds like, that sounds like such a stereotype. I'm like, you try and motivate a 13 year old kid with some adult sophisticated, I'm gonna take you through the pathway of differentiation into manhood, are you excited about that? No, the primal path. It's probably gonna involve meat and mud, get ready. So I came up with this thing and basically took these six stages and, and put them through four big movements. Movement number one was preparation. Preparation. I had to make sense of my own story. Whatever pain is not transformed is transferred, remember? So I had to sit and go through. Where's the brokenness where unintentionally I'm just going to pass this on? This is, the, this is where Josiah came from. I've got to find the high places in my story, my family. My grandfather was a missionary in India. He moved there when he was 18. Amazing, amazing missionary. Horrible father. My dad grew up in a boarding school in India and missed his parents so much he developed a sleepwalking condition where they had to lock his hall because at night he would walk around trying to find his family in his sleep. My grandfather served God, but he failed his family. My dad just telling me I learned nothing from my father. My dad did his best, but it was not enough for a kid like me. And so I said, I have to, I gotta break this generational cycle of passive fathering. I gotta gotta lean in here. So I have to go through my own story. What wounds do I have from my absent dad? One of the greatest points of pain, my dad taught me to ride a motorbike. My dad rode motorbikes his entire life and not once in my life did my dad say, let's go ride together. I had to make sense of that. Dad, why don't you wanna ride with me? I have two motorbikes now, a Harley and a Triumph. You know why? So when my son gets back, we can ride. Why? It's small little things that wound you and carry in your heart, but I've got to forgive my dad and make peace with it and understand his story so I can honor him. I write a little weekly email for dads, and my last week's email was called Honor Goes Up, Vision Goes Down. 
I've got to honor who he is. I've got to honor the position of father, even if I can't honor the man. And then I've got to bring a different vision down through my line. I have to prepare myself, make sense of this, go through my timeline, figure out my story. And then I said, I've got to initiate my son. I've got to break this childhood thinking. I never thought of digging a, de- a grave and doing it. Otherwise, I would have done that. I 100% would have done that. It's tough to do that in New York City. I'm in Central Park. What are you doing? Digging a, a faux grave for my son to initiate him. How's your dog? So here's a picture of I took my I took my son, built a little cohort of dads and sons, and took my son uh, to Coney Island, to the beach. We took him out. We sat him all down on the beach. I had this plan for him to run into the water to start this journey and to run into the water to end this journey. I had him stripped down to their underpants. I just told him, you've got to get baptized. You know, a journey into manhood. And gave him this big pep talk about this giant path that's been lost and how we've recovered it. And you don't know it. I created so much anticipation and fear in my son's life. And this moment, he's like, all it is is running into the ocean. I was like, yeah. And then the next six years of me forming you. He ran into the ocean, they came out. It was this amazing amazing moment of realizing you are now in liminal space, young man. You're in the place of formation. And then I began to meet with him every morning. And it wasn't like, here's what it was, it was consistent. It wasn't, it wasn't always amazing. And I just basically said, I wanna, I wanna have a daily connection with my son. And then every week we did a thing called man school. A man school, we just took like all the major roles of manhood and just spent time talking about it. Here's a hundred skills every man must master. Here's a hundred things a man needs to know about women. I just broke down all the archetypes of like what men should be in the world and we just went to school on it. And then I built a whole system of rewards we had to like overcome. We would do these things called difficulty day. And if you get past difficulty day, you make it to the next level. You can gamify raising your kids. So we go on to the next level here. And when he would overcome, we would just these huge rewards. And as it turned out, by the grace of God and conscious influence, my son fell in love with eating steak and barbecue. And so his reward after difficulty day was like we would go to a different barbecue restaurant in New York City. We ate our way through the five boroughs of New York City, going to the best barbecue that was available. understood the power of moments first wet dream that's wild first date first fight first conflict first feeling of failure first conscious sin try to create a pathway my son so that we would meet here's some here's a bit that's like that's my son's daily notes of what we were learning about this is my son right here this is one of the best moments of my life you can see behind him this is our house out in the woods you can see behind him, I just listed out this, this course. And this is the next six years of his life. And I'll go back one. And uh, no, next one here. That, no, next one, just right, that's the one, stay right there. So I'm sitting here with my son. And I'm pouring into him. And he says to me, Dad, who took you through the primal path? I said, no one, man. He said, well, where did all this stuff come from? I said, it came from my head. It came from my heart. And he said, did you really come up with all of this for me? I said, of course I did. You're my son. I love you, man. I want you to have a better future than I have. And he started weeping and he said, Dad, I feel so loved. 
I can tell you this, at 14 years of age, I never consciously, emotionally felt loved by my father. My father's love never moved me to tears. I never felt it. I could see he was trying, but it was behavior at a distance, not, not a connection with my heart. I thought, this whole thing's been worth it for this. So we did this for six years, and then I said, one of the things, Nate, you need to do is you need, you need to have an ordeal. I've been training you. I've taught you everything I know. I've put you through the tribe of mentors. I've challenged your brains out. Now, you need to get out into the world, and you need to go figure out if this is in you or not. So I sent him on a gap year for one year. And the next, this next slide here, this is him, five o'clock in the morning out the front of our place in New York City, hugging it out with his mum and his sister. Homeboy went off for a year. And on this year, just learned it all. My goal was to irreparably break his heart for the global poor for the rest of his life. So he could never be an entitled, spoiled American college kid. It worked. <laughs> But I knew that when you do those, but one of the things people do wrong is they don't debrief these huge trips. And I said, bro, we need to debrief our six-year journey in this trip. So I said, we are going to hike across Spain for 500 miles. We're going to do the Camino de Santiago, which is this pilgrim path people have been doing for 1,200 years. And at the end of this path, there's a cove where the pilgrims used to carry a burden that they would leave behind at the end of their pilgrimage. I said, you are carrying your childhood with you and we're going to leave it behind in this cove. So we walk 500 miles. Man, I got blisters on blisters. I'm like rushed up. I get heat stroke twice. I'm laying on the side of the road, twitching like a fish out of water. (laughs) But we make it 500 miles together. As we're hiking into uh, Santiago de Compostela, which is the, the cathedral, I get this rage in me out of nowhere. I'm just got this like demonic rage. And I thought I was angry at my son. I didn't know what it was. And then here's what the rage was. I realized, why didn't my dad do this for me? How hard was this? How hard was it just to do a trip? How hard was it? And I realized that God was inviting me to leave the bitterness of my childhood behind at the end of that thing. Well, we finally make it to this little town called Finisterre where the pilgrims leave something. And then I tell my son, just like he ran in when he was a 13-year-old kid off the coast of New York, you're going to run into that water and you will emerge a man. I had all these letters of blessing that all of his mentors and friends had spoken over him, sat on the beach, read these over him. And then uh, just like in Matthew's gospel, where God yells out, I yell out. This isn't just, people think I'm a weirdo. I'm like, I couldn't care. I'm initiating my son here. Shut up, okay? I yell out, who is this man that emerges from the water? This is Nathan Tyson, blessed by his father and welcome into the community of men. And he comes running out. And to commemorate this, we both got a tattoo of the Camino de Santiago on the inside of our arms. My son is now serving God with all of his might. Loves God. Walking with him. And that's not always what happens. But I was determined that it would be better than what I was handed. I was going to tear down the high places. I was going to raise up a pathway. I want to create something that my son could go through. Five kinds of fathers. Five kinds of fathers. Which one are you going to be? 
Which one are you going to be? It's not the perfect father. Like I can never do all that. I'm like, well, just do something. Don't dial it in. My, my, I keep going on about this, but I'm trying to leave it in your mind. My 100 hours with the sons of anarchy. Do you know what I would give right now for another 100 hours with my son in those years? Oh, man, I'd give anything to get that time back. What could I impart into him with 100 hours? How much fun could we have with those 100 hours? I'd give anything for that time again. Five kinds of fathers. My simple goal is that you would resolve in your heart, I'm going to be an intentional father. Now, you maybe think it's too late. It's never too late. A 60-year-old man will still ache for a blessing from an 80-year-old man. It's never too late. You may think I've blown it. You've never blown it. Repentance can do anything. Repentance opens the doors of the kingdom of heaven. Repentance invites in the help of the Holy Spirit where he's been left out through human brokenness. God can do anything here. And so we need, we, need to, we need to break off these generational cycles and we need to just resolve in our spirits something different is going to happen. Remember the end of the book of Malachi? He's going, to, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers. He's going to turn the hearts of the sons. And so I want us to do something today. I don't know if you're game for it. I'm taking a risk. But I, I want to do something today. I want us consciously, prophetically in this room to break generational cycles today, okay? Just to create resolve in your spirit. Elderly people want legacy. And young people want destiny. And the key for the older folks is to make their legacy raising up the destiny of the younger folks. If you're an older man here today, you've got something to give. Yeah. Your pain, your wounds... Your struggle working that job, paying those bills, putting up with your wife to keep the family together when it felt hard, like it wasn't worth it. You should be honored for that. We've been carried on you, your heart, your sacrifice. So I want to do something today. If you're over 50, will you come forward and stand up here? Just come stand up, turn around, face this room. Here they are, come on, let them feel the love. Honor these men. Honor these men. take a seat not you guys at the front thank you we just take a moment we honor you honor is a greek word to me it means to recognize to recognize value glory requires no recognition god's glorious whether you feel like he is or not 
The sun's shining whether or not you think there's a sun or not. But honor says, I recognize this about you. And there's power in recognition. And so for those of you over 50 who've been holding it down, serving in the church, often without recognition, putting up with a bunch of complaints, wondering if it's making any difference, we just want to say, we recognize the price you have paid so we can sit here. Thank you. And we just want to remove any shame that you've had to carry because people haven't recognized your sacrifice. We're thankful. And we're going to believe that the gifts that you have are going to move down and they're going to bless this generation. Now, you men, I want to ask you if you do something. Will you release blessing over these folks who are coming up next? Would you stretch your hands out over them? And would you just speak out a blessing over them? Just release your favorite verse. And you you who are out there, open your hands up to receive blessing. Receive blessing. These are men who have gone before you. Just make a declaration over them. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus, double portion on this generation that's coming up right now. Lord, we just pray your blessing would be upon them. And Lord, I just pray this image right here, that you would recognize it in heaven in this region, Lord God. Lord, we just pray against an epidemic of fatherlessness and spiritual failure. And we just pray, Lord God, healing between generations. Lord, we pray spiritual sons would rise from this room. We pray physical sons would be healed and restored. And Lord, we just build this bond where the enemy has tried to sever things apart and build generational dysfunction. We seal this, Lord God, before you over this region and just pray that blessing will come. We honor you and thank you, Lord, that you are the most intentional father and that we all stand here as your sons. Loved, welcomed, and blessed because of what Christ has done for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Fellas, you can take a seat. Thank you so much. Releasing blessing. Amen. Okay, I think we're going to do a Q&A. Is that right? I think we're going to do a Q&A um, around some of this stuff.
Thanks. You're very kind. Thank you. Hello. Uh, I'm just going to stand. You want to just stand? Let's just. I'm Let's just stand. Okay. You oh, caught me. Good. You caught me crying. Okay. That was so good. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a. Uh, we're going to go into a time of question and answer. So I'm trying to gather myself. That was so powerful. Uh, I've. I've uh, yeah, I've been on the. Uh, Cedric goes for 32 years now almost and just the revelation that we get to walk in and we get to reap what other people have sown and um, thank you so much I mean there's there's people just the last 24 hours like great job man thanks for putting this together and like it really we didn't really do anything I think what it was is that we just like stepped into what you guys had sown already uh, my dad he's been laboring here since the early 80s just faithful and so many of his friends Terry and Tim and uh, so thank you Ralph and Ken and just love you guys and so Bob O'Keefe man you're a freaking legend so thankful for you man whether you know it or not you've labored for this area more than you realize and so thank you guys Anyways, uh, we're going to go into a time of a question and answer. Um, would, would love to keep it on the vein uh, of fathering, of fatherhood. Um, and so if you text that number, just any questions you have, um, I'll get it here on my phone. We'll, we'll, we're going to pick John's brain a little bit. Um, and I, I'll just encourage you to really take advantage of this moment because uh, these are, um, this is such an honor to, to have. Um, they're coming through. I'm going to, when you say inappropriate things, because it happens every time someone thinks they're funny, I'm going to say your name and who you are. Accountability. You're going to have public humiliation. Um, this is also Dave Hutzko's personal number. We'll put, so any complaints? Now that now the connection's not working. Sorry, guys. Just one second. Um, it's a coming. Boom, there we go. Awesome. Great response. Let's start with this. Someone said this. This is phenomenal. Someone here has seven kids. Not two. Five sons, not one. Ages 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6. I just want to say congratulations. <laughs> Way to go. Consistent. Honey, you're up. But this is so good. He says, I, I feel like a 24-7 referee, and then I never have time to be intentional. Give me something. That's such a good question, good thought. Yeah, how do you go from referee to being intentional father? Well, honestly, so number one thing I want to say is like, your hands are full. you got to have mercy on yourself. Mm. Don't set up some unrealistic standard that you cannot do. Small things done consistently are better than big random things done that you cannot sustain. And so just yeah. find like, you can't do everything. You can do something. And so you know that Pareto principle that says like 20% produces 80% of the fruit. Yeah. I would just try and pick a few little Pareto practices about how to do this. And you may stay, start super small. It could be like, guys, we're gonna read like, you know, but here's a great place that, you know, the thing I did with my son, I got like one of those Bible promise books. It's like a hundred promises for men or a hundred topics. And they just start like, hey, abiding. And I was just like, we would read five verses on abiding. And I would just say like, what's your favorite verse and why? 
And then sometimes they'll be like, this sucks, I don't want to abide. It's like, okay, that's fine. But which verse of these that do suck that you don't want to do stood out to you the most? You just keep them in the zone. Keep them in the zone. Small things done consistently. And then I would, I mean, each kid has a key to their heart. I think about Susanna Wesley, who was a mother completely overwhelmed. And she felt like a similar thing, just like total chaos. And so she would put an apron over her head. Just like when the apron's on my head, don't talk to me. That can be like, hey, when I'm faced in the wall like the Blair Witch Project in a seating for this house, do not talk to me. You can have your, you can have a, a, like a little thing that you do that's consistent. And then I would just, I would just begin to sl- patiently, slowly impose order on the chaos. For every small thing, same time, same place assign stuff so the older ones are sort of responsible to do it for the younger ones and uh, referee a little bit in that space and I want to say it's probably doing more than you know it's probably doing more than you know consistency not intensity is the key to parenting pick something you can do just do it and then build over the course of time as you slowly gather that momentum that's so good Um, this one right along the same lines uh, they have multiple children close in age do we go through this together or separate? Depends how big that age gap is. Mm. So, you know, I think one of my friends who is doing this now, he's got a son who just finished the primal path, who was involved in the burying of that kids in the wood. He's loving giving it back. He's like, put him in the ground. You know, he's like loving giving it back. Shave his head, put him in the ground. Um, but these kids are amazing. He's like one of the best dads I know. Um, but he was involved, and so like you can't give what you don't have. So make sure he's taking some of the things he's learned and helping. Both of my kids have black belts in Taekwondo, and it's just my just like just required living in New York City. So um, one thing I learned, one thing I learned in this little like little Taekwondo school, is that as soon as you're a yellow belt, you're assigned to teach the white belts, mm. and that's the way you learn it better. And so it's not black belts teaching white belts. It's black belts walking around helping yellow belts teach white belts. Mm. And so I'd say just if if there's a little bit of a gap or they've learned one thing, have them help sort of pour that down and just work that into a little tribe with different stages. Yeah, that's so good. Um, There's quite a few questions coming in about daughters. What does this look like uh, for females, for a father to a daughter? So... I've got two things to say about this. Number one, my wife comes along and says, all the principles you said about sons apply to your daughter. And I was like, well, great. That's a wonderful way to demotivate a 13-year-old boy. Hey, this crap's the same for your sister. (laughs) So so let's not let that get out. Let's not let that get out in our house. But the difference between boys and women is that Teenage girls get their period. When you have your period, you realize I can have a baby. Mm. And females are often emotionally ahead of men developmentally. Mm. But a boy doesn't have that same sort of like crazy awareness of something changing. That's going to require more intentionality. So my wife did a whole thing like this for my daughter. There's a role that a mother plays in a daughter's life. I did a thing with my daughter that I called 50 pieces of my heart. Mm. It's 50 things I wanted my daughter to know and experience before she left home. And so we just did a modified version of this, but instead of eating barbecue, we ate cupcakes. Mm -hmm. This is a true story. Instead of going to like barbecue restaurants, 
she'd go to a different cupcake. And I look at me, this kid loves a cupcake. It was fun. <laughs> I do a barbecue on Tuesdays and cupcakes on Thursdays. <laughs> Same principles of intentionality. I will say this in a larger principle, the, the, the thing that I was working for, what was the point of all of this? It wasn't just running some program for them. I wanted to get my kids' hearts. Mm. And my goal was that my kids would bring their sin to me, not hide it from me. Yeah. And I spent years trying to help my son understand this simple idea. My dad can help me with this. My dad can help me with this. And at first you're like, my dad's useless. He can't help me with this. And I was like, dude, if you're in a car and everyone's smoking weed and the cops pull you over, you don't need to think I'm going to get killed by my dad. You need to think my dad can help me with this. Yeah. You need to see me as a resource to help you navigate the complexities of life. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the high, I went through some amazing moments with my son. He was getting like one time he's like, Dad, I'm going to talk to you about something. I was like, as he sits down and he's, he's getting bullied with this kid. And he's like, do I fight him or not? It's like super complex ethical question. Studying the Sermon on the Mount, way of Jesus. Who throws the first punch? Do I punch back? <laughs> and he said this to me. He said, I wanted to talk to you about this because I know you've been through this and you can help me. I just thought, man, I never would have gone to my dad. Dad, what do I do? That was such a gift to me. And I was fighting for my son's heart through these boring morning studies where he didn't want to wait for that moment. I thought, okay, if I got his heart here, I could carry this all the way through. So you're fighting for your kids' hearts, whether it's your son or your daughter. This is all scaffolding. The program is scaffolding to win their heart. Yeah. And so find the unique ways that you connect with your kids, win their heart through intentionality. Amazing. Yep. That's so good. Son or daughter, find ways to their heart. That's so good. Um, what's an appropriate age to talk to your son about sex? I think the uh, this is the, the last research I saw. The average age of exposure to pornography is eight. Jeez. And man, it's not Playboy they're looking at. Mm. I mean, it's dark. So before that, mm. before that, yeah. The, the hardest right. thing about living in New York. This is like the, the amount of public porn stuff that the kids are exposed to. You're taking the kid to school and you're holding his hand, he's on the subway and he's just seeing some stuff that you... So we had that, I think, talk at five. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. Our culture is forcing us to have conversations. There's, there's very few places left the sexual revolution can go except to technology and children. Mm. Yeah. That's, it's, it's coming for your kids. Yeah, it's true. It's coming for your kids. And so you got to like... Prepare them in the most godly way possible. We shouldn't have sexuality. It was like, sex is such a beautiful thing that, um, you know, no, sorry. The way we say it in typical life is like, you know, stay away from sex. It's so bad. It's so scary. You can never recover from it. So save it for the one person you love that you'll do it with the rest of your life. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've got to have a better vision of sex yeah. than that. Yeah. And we're going to help kids deal with shame. I mean, like, yeah. look, 90% of. Kids are looking at porn. People are looking at porn or whatever. So you got to, I, I, so it's got to be, I will say this, I'll say this. I've got a friend, um, very, very close friend of mine, whose dad was amazing in his life. I mean, what his dad did to win his heart. One morning, he's looking at porn and he gets caught. He knows his dad has caught him. But his dad never brings it up, ever. 
And this just becomes a hole he falls into. He's like waiting to be killed and nothing comes and he thinks he's gotten away with it. So he spends four years in this, uh, this deep struggle in his life. And he finally gets the courage as a man to go to his dad and say, Dad, like I know you saw me do that. Why didn't you take action? And his dad said, because I was looking at it myself and I felt like a hypocrite. Jeez. And he's like, he created a generation of stronghold because he tolerated something in his own life. And I was like, we gotta, we got to block that from our kids. We've got to have integrity with that. You know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta not manage our wives. We gotta take a freaking hammer to their heads and destroy them violently. And mm. so, if you're if you're wrestling like the, the sexuality conversation, that's something you're wrestling with. You gotta get get in a group about that. Get help with that. Yeah. Get accountability. I have I have all the filters on all my devices, and like we just live in such a hard time of history. We got to remove the shame around this because it's just indoctrinated our world. Yeah. And we're going to try and bring some sort of breakthrough. Yeah. Anyway. That's so good. Um, there, there's a lot about men who didn't have the greatest father as an example. But I love this question. What did you do to honor your father regardless of your upbringing? So one of the things I, I wanted to do, I, I, I basically, um, I wrote my father a letter. He came and visited me uh, in New York without my mum and saw me with my kids. And, and I just had this sense, my dad is wondering how I judged him as a man. Mm. I could just see it. He's watching me with my kids. And so I thought, I, I, need, I need to let my dad know that he got a bunch of stuff right and I'm grateful. And so I sat down, man, and I went through every year of my life. And I try to think, what memories do I have from my dad? And what were good memories? And I try to filter out all the drama. And I try to just come up with this list of all the stuff, super specific. Dad, I remember that one time when you took me on the back of the motorbike to basketball and we got Burger King. That really meant something. I mean, just all of these things. And I wrote this multi, multi-page, single-space letter list of all the things my dad got right. And right before he got on the plane to go back to Australia, I handed it to him. I just said, thank you, dad. This is for you to read on the plane. And then my mom called and she said, I don't know what you wrote to your father, but something shifted in his countenance and in his life. He got off the plane weeping. So I just wrote this list out, trying to honor my dad. Mm. He did better than his dad, mm. you know, and it, it wasn't everything, but it was enough to get me here today. Yeah. And so I dedicated the book to my dad, just said to my father, Ian Tyson, whose prayers have carried me this far. So I try to honor him for that. Like, you know, you, you got to filter. Honor's a filter. You got to choose to recognize the value. You can point out the blame. My dad, listen, every man knows when they screw up. Mm. You don't have to point that out. How many of you know the sucky parts of your father and you're like, I do. You don't need a, you, you don't need a mirror on that. You're beating yourself up about that every day. Yeah. But when someone comes along and says, thank you, gosh. So I just try to do that and that was enough. My son, um, it was at YWAM and they, they do this thing. I don't know, it's like inner healing thing. So my son sends me this super long voicemail and it opens with, hey dad, I'm hanging out with a bunch of my friends and we're all talking about our father wounds. 
I literally hit pause. I was like, oh. I just published this book, The Intentional Father. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then my son says, and something stood out to me. I don't have any. I'm listening to all my friends. And in every place there's a wound. I have a moment with you where you're intentional. And I just wanted to say thank you. And I'm telling you, I don't, not the perfect dad intentional, but I'll tell you right now. My son never needs to speak to me or say another kind word to me again because that moment carries enough potency for me to hold my head high for the rest of my life. Yeah. Fathers need to bless their sons, but when a son acknowledges that and reflects that back, there's so much power in it. So I, I say to people, hey, look, if, you're, if, you, if you never knew your dad, write a letter to the man you never knew and burn it or bury it, but have a moment where you say, you brought me into this world. If nothing else, I have the gift of life because of you. Wow. And if you if you got a strained relationship with your dad, I had one guy who, who wrote me this email saying, I read that at the start of your book and I was at war with it for 11 months. And eventually I did with this, my dad, and it's brought so much healing. Mm. So it doesn't have to be super dramatic, but just that honoring back, there's so much power and honor. So that's one of the things I've done. And then now my dad's just had two strokes. And he's in Australia, and now, now I'm just trying to like honor him. Thank you, Dad. Just want you to know. Just I'm pointing out the yeah. fruit that's in my life because of him. Mm. And there's so much power in doing that. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, this kind of takes it over to that uh, posture, whether you have biological children or not. This specific question, my father recently passed away. Do you have advice how I can become a man and a father for my younger siblings? Yeah, that's heavy. I'm very sorry for that loss. I know that's mm. probably painful and it's creating very, like a probably family strain and, and burden, probably mixed with, you know, desire. Um, again, I mean, I, this is not a magic word, but I just say I would be intentional for them. You, you can't replace yeah. your dad. Mm. You can step into that gap and you can, you can create words of encouragement. God blesses you financially. Mm. You can sow little seeds. You can, you know, if you've got... Nieces and nephews, you put a little college fund away. Who knows what, you know, $100 worth of Bitcoin is going to do now. It's either going to be worth nothing and you'll cry. It's going to be worth a million dollars in the other. You can do something. Yeah. It's like just a little, little, little seeds of legacy to extend and to care. You never know how God will honor them or what they'll do. Maybe have a conversation. Hey, guys, you know, we've lost our father here. How do we continue his legacy or how do we hold this thing together? I just say, like, move, move towards that with intentionality. Mm. That's so good. Um, to sum some of these up, it sounds like what you've done has required a fair amount of time. How do you prioritize the time for being a father versus the demands of church planting, church leadership, itinerant ministry, all those things? What does that look like for you practically to make time for these things? Well, I would just say this. Choose your regret. Choose your regret. Mm. <laughs> uh, Daniel Pink put a new book out. The largest study ever done on regret. Largest study ever done on regret. And one of the four great regrets is relational regrets. Yeah. One of the four great regrets of life is when you don't choose. So um, I, I want to I be clear. So there's two things I want to say about that. Number one... Um, 
I bled to do this for my kids. Mm. I mean, I suffered and sacrificed to do this for my kids. I'm getting up at four to write a little devotional so that my son will complain about and get up and sleep through for six years. (laughs) But what was the alternative? Sleep in and not do it for six years. So I just said, stuff it, I'm getting up. And I will tell you, when my son left, I felt like I literally got 30 hours a week back. It was, no, no, not in a bad way. It was just like, oh my gosh, the amount of time I have for myself. Same thing with my daughter. Man, the amount of work I put in. I have no regrets. Mm. If I had more time, I would have gone harder. Mm. Been more intentional. And um, so, yes, like, hey, have eyes wide open. This will cost you. But I've sat with a lot of dads. I felt the pain in my own heart. And I think the cost of not being intentional is greater than the cost of being intentional. And it's worth it. Well, you know what they say, man. The days along the years are short. Yeah. They'll be gone before you know it. And I, and I just think it'll be worth it. So I, I decided to sacrifice. You only got 24 hours a day. And it's just like, well, it's easy for you. You're a pastor. I'm a pastor in New York City. It's not like a, like a rural parish. It's like I regularly work 60, 70 hours a week. The needs are incessant. And I just said, something's got to get. I did the Pareto principles. What do I think bears fruit? What are the levers I can pull that are strategic? And then how do I just pay the price and do this? And um, so, yeah, it's like it, it will cost you. But so, again, like, but it was so worth it. So do what you can do consistently and pay the price and do it. And I don't think you'll have regrets. Yeah. yeah. Um, for the young people in the room who... Uh, oh, sorry, can I just say one practical yeah, please. thing? Here was a conscious decision I made. No sports. Mm. No games. No sports. Now, those times I was like just getting a recap. Ah, little Wikipedia recap on the series, how we do here. But like two, three, four hours. Unless you're watching it with your son and it's like a part of your like bonding or whatever. But I wasn't medicating my exhaustion with sports. And I found, I don't know about you, I was getting like four or five hours a week out of that. Mm. And four or five hours a week is a lot of time in a week yeah. to be able to, inf- to redeploy and reinvest. And so that was just a decision I made. And uh, I grew up doing boxing. I love boxing. And uh, now I watch boxing. So it's now I'm back. I'm back watching boxing. Just watch Canelo, not do it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, For somebody who's young, youth, young adults, uh, how do you? What's the best way to prepare to eventually being a father? Well, it's it's like invest in teenagers now. Like be a mentor, mentor right now. That's good. But go up, build a relationship with those who are above you. Try and be a bridge if you're in that sort of in between zone. And keep that, that that relational flow going, and then like I tell people, people say like, "Hey, I don't want to read your book." Um, I'm like, "Hey, man, get it in your head now." I wish I'd read this when my son was one. Hmm. So I mean, I wish I wish I'd read it when my son was one because I, I wouldn't be in panic mode. I would have been like, yeah. "I at least have a plan when I get there." Yeah. So I just say, think about it in advance and yeah. um, do what you can now. Yeah, and so I guess on the the other side of that, someone who might be older with regrets. Um, that feels like you are now chasing the thing down. Uh, how did they get past the overwhelm of taking it on now 
what's like the first step? What do I do? I just feel like my kid got away from me. Time was lost. What are they, what's the first thing? Well, I do want to acknowledge that that is like a very, very real source of pain. Mm. And um, you, need to, you need to probably sit with God before that mm. and really, really get rid of the guilt and shame from that in your heart. And then, uh, you know, I said, this is what my dad did for me. Like, do in prayer what you can't do in person. You can be a priest for your kids, even if they never know it. Mm. You can seek, try and win their hearts mm. in prayer. Number two, be realistic. It's like just because you've had a wake-up call doesn't mean they, they have. This may be a long, long game, very small seeds consistently over the course of time. Um, yeah, pr- prayer, small seeds of intentionality, play the long game, and then resolve if they have kids to get access to your grandkids so mm. you can have that multi-generational legacy. Mm. You know, I just say, just be patient. Don't beat yourself up. You can't change the past. Forgetting what's behind In the book on regret, Daniel Pink's book on the four great regrets, he says, what do you do with regret? It can paralyze you or it can be fuel for intentionality. Take all of that angst and then slowly, strategically deploy it to close that gap. And you never know. You never know what God will do. Faithful, 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 and then you have one breakthrough conversation. Yeah. You may need to level up and have to take a few things on the chin. It will be hard to hear. It's very hard to sit and create space for someone to tell you the ways that they've hurt you. But if you've got a community of men around you who are walking with you, you'll have the grace and, and ability to do that. And then just resolve in your heart. You can close the story well. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah. You have someone run their whole life and then fall into a hole. You can have someone struggle their whole life and close it out strong and change your generation. Just resolve, I'm going to finish this thing well, even if I didn't start it how I wanted. Yeah, that's so good. Just two more. Uh, one's real practical. Uh, some resources for talking to your children about sexuality. Oh, man. I mean, I don't, I don't think... Talking about porn in particular with my son... I made him listen to like four or five amazing um, podcasts about men in their early 20s who had erectile dysfunction because they binged on porn and rewired their brains. So this is just how I'm wired. So I'd make my son listen to this and write me a report on his takeaways. It's like, hey, what'd you get out of that? I'll never forget his report. I do not want erectile dysfunction in my 20s. That was his summary of the podcast. I was like, that's it. That's enough. You've learned that. All of my kids, I did, I did on-ramps and gateways that I had to get through before they got to, like, before you have a phone, here's, like, here's the on-ramps, the, get, the gateways, and the rest of it. Um, I think I took Nate through a book called Where Did I Come From? Mm. When I was five, I think, like this, I think that's the book was called Where Did I Come From? It was like a cartoon book. I think that was the book I used when I was like five. And it's just like, you know. Yeah. But it's literally like boys have a penis, girls have a vagina sort of a book yeah, yeah. with cartoons. Yeah. And like, you know, it was very, very simple. Nowadays, that's prob- that book's probably been banned. Yeah. So yeah. get it before they, uh, Amazon stops selling it. But I think that was the, that was the book I used. Yeah, that's, the, that's it. Cool. Uh, last one. It's probably, I think that there's definitely better ones than that. I'm, I'm thinking now. There's like there's like different ones. I think Focus on the Family has like graded books that that walk through sexuality, that sort of thing. So, last one. How do you bring your son or daughter to know Jesus without pressuring them to do so? Well, number number one, you got to realize um, all of life is pressuring. Hmm. 
Like the, the world is pressuring your kids to not follow Jesus. Um, so like the, there's not the, 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 the myth of no pressure is simply that as a myth. Um, here's what doesn't work. Nagging. How many of you have been nagged into godliness? Yeah. I don't know if that was a trick. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you can nag someone into it. Like, yeah. You can't shame people into it. You know, you can't be like, you better look good in church because I'm Christian. Like that, that stuff just creates anger. Mm. You've got to try and model it. You've got to try and model it and you've got to talk about the beauty of following Jesus. Mm. I believe at the core of my being that following Jesus is the best way to live. Mm. I am living in the fullness of life and uh, I want my kids to have access to that. So modeling the fruit of the Spirit, um, creating a family culture and rhythms, you know, so like my family, we did the Sabbath, like a proper biblical Sabbath, mm. pleasure stacked, filled with feasting and delighting and joy and look forward to the Sabbath. Read God's word together. Hey, this, this book is alive. Careful. You never know. Mm. That little verse might get you. Mm. You know, like, hey, let's just read a little bit of the scriptures here, praying for them, with them, talking about sins, lots of open dialogue. And... Um, and just play the long game. So, but my my kids is like, hey man, you're coming to church. We're a Christian family. I don't want to go to church. Yeah, you know, you don't want to go to school either. But this is what we do. This is the stage yeah. of life you are. So we're just going to do it. You can do it, and you can complain about it. You can do it. We can choose joy and make this what we can. Then over the course of time, and then then um, pray like a psycho. Both my kids, Nate in particular, sat me down. He said, Dad, I don't want to think. I think I don't want to become a Christian. Mm. I was like, okay, why is that? I'm almost falling out of my chair in agony. Why is that? <laughs> Super casual on the surface. Why is that? It's like, I really, I really understand that Jesus says you have to deny yourself and take up your cross, and I just don't want to deny myself. Mm. I was like, well, I really appreciate that sort of like self-awareness, and um, let's just keep talking about it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask right now. Come on, Holy Spirit. I get into his will. But like super cool, just process that dialogue and then just like contend in the name of Jesus. I'm calling on the covenant promises of God. The word of the Lord shall not depart from my mouth or my children's mouth or my children's mouth. You said you would pour water on the dragon. Go get Nathan's heart. Yeah. Or it turns out he's dating a girl. Father, I curse that relationship in the name of Jesus. I bind her up. I cast her family out of our families to her. I don't even remember the question, but probably like, you know, a lot of it, no, a lot of it is like, just build a great relationship. Enjoy life together. These yeah. are fun years. Teenage years, they're hard years, they're fun years, they're going through first, they're experiencing things. Try and bring a sense of joy and wonder to it. Mm -hmm. And then behind the scenes, be the priest of your home. I was always marked by Job, and he said, like, he would go and offer sacrifices in case any of his kids sinned. There's a behind the scene integrity that nobody could see. And I'd be like, behind the scenes, Lord God, I just cover my kids. And um, really try to be a priest interceding on their behalf over Mm. the course of these. But I'll just say this. Get rid of shame. Mm. Do what you can, not what you can't. Be intentional, pray like crazy, and ask for covenant blessing. If you do those things, I'm telling you, most of the battle is won. And I can't wait to see what God does in the lives of your kids. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much.